Hey guys, this is part three of a part five series. Make sure you go and check out part one and two and then come and check this one out. Thank you. In the days after my initial viewing of The Lady in the Cage, it quickly took over my life. I think most of us have seen things that impact us in profound ways, things that disturb or traumatise us, things we wish we could unsee. All of that applies here. But the difference is that The Lady sinks its hooks into your soul and pulls you closer, and the more you fight it, the more it tightens its hold on you. On the second day, I did almost nothing but watch and research the video, delving into an online world of rumour and truth where people who had actually seen the video seemed to disappear days after watching it. The video began playing on its own, first on my phone and then on my computer. My brother had warned me about malware, and while I never found it believable, I ran scans on my phone and then the next day on my computer. It didn't stop. After a couple more days of rising dread, I decided I needed to talk to Tyler. I texted and called him, but got no response, and finally left to visit him to see how he was doing. I found him, sitting in his room, staring off into nothingness with the shades drawn and the lights out. How have you been, man? Haven't heard back from you in a bit. Been steaming, man. This shit is fire, he said, holding up his vape pen. I waved it away. I'm good with that shit. You been watching the video at all? All the time, man, he said absently and nodded towards the blank TV screen on his wall. That shit gets to you, huh? I looked from him to the screen and then back again, and he continued staring off towards the black TV. He blinked several times rapidly as the expression on his face changed in reaction to things I couldn't see. Finally, I leaned forward and turned the TV on, and the zoo faded onto the screen in brilliant clarity. I wanted more than anything to look away, but couldn't. The molecular demons buzzed around as the camera slowly zoomed in on the lady in her cage. She was still holding the victim she'd consumed the night before, but he had been reduced to a crumpled, dried husk. Her neck pulsated as her head moved in and out of the wound as she drank him. The victim's glow, the light all of the captives had, was just barely present, and it dimmed before finally going out. The lady dropped the bolus, and it shattered to dust and bones on the ground as she howled and climbed back onto the bars like an invertebrate chimp. She hung there for a moment, before flickering away like a blemish on the celluloid, then reappeared standing in the centre of the cage. The black cloud of smoke-like hair rose around her, and the mechanical clatter of applause from the demons filled the room, and I turned to Tyler. He looked on, expressionless. This part's fucked up, dude. Watch, he said. 
the procession took a sing step forward, bringing the next pair of sentries and their captive to the precipice of the cage. The hideous ringmaster smiled his detached grin and extended a branch-like arm towards the cage. Slowly, the camera zoomed out, bringing row after row of sentries and victims for the lady into frame before stopping ten rows back. In the distance ahead, there was shrieking as the lady attacked her new victim and then the captive closest to us turned and looked at the camera and I saw him. It was Tyler. My heart stopped and my lungs froze in my chest and refused to draw air. I turned and Tyler was looking at me with a bizarre, crooked smile on his face. And in that dark room alone with him and the video, I suddenly felt terrified and paralysed. My brain screamed signals to my lungs to inhale, and finally, they did. And an acrid, chemical aroma filled my nostrils, and I almost choked. How the fuck do they do that, dude? Tyler asked calmly as I knelt to the floor, gasping for the caustic air that burnt my lungs. How'd they put me in the video? Somehow, I managed to stand and stumble out of his room and out of the house. I gulped down the fresh air and let my breathing and heart find equilibrium before I tried to do anything else. Finally, I walked slowly and uneasily to my car and got in. When I got home, I decided to leave my phone in the car, something I don't remember ever doing. I had slept most of the day, but I was exhausted. I'd barely moved, but my body ached and bruises I didn't remember getting riddled my arms. I knew and accepted that the video wasn't a hoax. It wasn't malware or some kind of elaborate scheme. I knew for sure by this point that what I'd watched was real and I needed to find out what it was. After days of hiding in my room, I couldn't take another. I knew I needed better resources, and I didn't want to use any tools or technology associated with the video. Highland Park isn't a huge town, but our public library is a huge two-story building with private reading rooms, two dozen workstations with free internet and printers, and most importantly, access to a digital newspaper archive. I left my phone at home, got there as early as I could, plugged in my USB drive and started searching the news database for the stories I'd read on social media. If you've spent any time reading about the video, you've probably found a lot of the same stuff I have. Most of it is third-hand accounts, rumours and troll posts, but occasionally you'll find someone who credibly claims to have watched it. Those people always post just a few times over a short period with an increasing sense of urgency and panic before disappearing forever within a couple of weeks of their first mention of the video. I started with screen names. In two cases, there were associated Facebook accounts which made things easy. Danny Chapman of Franklin Park, Pennsylvania posted about the video two years ago and then disappeared from the internet. And, when I checked local newspapers, I found out why. He died on November 4, 2019, days after his final post begging for help. Strange X Days was 23-year-old Alexandra Hansen of Bryant, Arkansas. She tweeted about the video twice in early 2020 and wrote the following on Tumblr two days after that. 
I can't describe what's happening to me and I can't take any more jokes. My boyfriend is in a coma and our parents think it's drugs but we don't use. Everything is turning grey and the only thing I can smell is burning. There's no point in even getting out of bed anymore, but if anyone can help me, if anyone can save me from the lady in the cage, please tell me. I'll do anything. Alexandra died after a brief illness three days after that post, according to the Democrat Gazette. There were three other similar deaths in the same time frame, one of which might have been the boyfriend mentioned in her post. I spent hours tracking down those real-life stories. They were all over the country, always in small communities, always in clusters. Some of the newspaper articles and obituaries mentioned opiates, other tacitly suggested suicide, but there was never anything about the video. But buried on Facebook, I found something. One post was on a local music page for a kid who had fronted a popular band in the Austin area, and several comments addressed the video directly. People asked about the video, suggested it killed him, and even asked for links or screenshots. Someone named A Right Now responded, You can't screenshot or even take pictures of it with digital cameras. If you take a photo using film, DM me. Another was a post by a woman named Doris Mulcahy, announcing that her son had passed away. Among hundreds of condolences, there was one from a person named Anthony RN. It said, rest in peace, bud. I wish you'd listen to me. I paused and then scrolled back to the band post. Are Anthony RN and A right now the same person? The computer screen flickered and dulled, then cut out completely before coming back to life in a strange grey glow. As the zoo faded in, I reached forward and yanked the plug from the wall, then looked around to see if anyone else saw me do it. The library was pretty crowded, but I didn't think so, so I shut off the computer and got up to leave. The screen came back on. I'd taken out the power cord for the screen, the computer itself was off, but the zoo faded back in. I backed away and glanced from side to side, and on the video began to materialise on every other computer screen, even those on which people were working. The tiny figures jumped up and down, chattering and cheering in unison. Suddenly, movement caught my eye. Up ahead, in the last row, the person next in line to be fed broke free from his captors and ran. He darted through the increasingly agitated audience of chattering devils, and I could see the terror and desperation on his face. I looked around hopelessly. If anyone could see the video, they weren't reacting to it. People continued to click, type, and scroll as it played on the screens in front of them. The sound began echoing off the walls, and the aroma of millions of pages gave way to Coltar. I looked towards the door and saw the librarian staring at me. On every screen, one of the sentinels who'd lost his captive turned, and for the first time I could see the gargoyle-like face and rough stony features. It raised its arm and traced the fugitive with a fist as he made his ill-fated escape. A charge of electricity exploded at the runner and he collapsed to the ground, twitching in the fetal position. I gasped and several people looked up at me as the librarian came out from behind her desk. 
the massive sentries picked up the wounded prisoner and carried him to one of the wagon cages. Then the perspective changed and the contents of the cage suddenly became visible. A bloated, human-like creature sitting spread-legged with its back leaning up against the other end of the pen. It looked like a giant baby or toddler, but with putrid yellow-green flesh that escaped the black and white film and showed through like corpse rot. The sentries opened the front of the cage and threw the man inside like a rag doll, and the baby creature caught him by the leg with a bloated, rancid hand. The thing's awful face lit up with macabre joy and its smiling mouth opened. A red tongue covered in tiny hair-like spines poured out and as the terrified man screamed, the beast ran him across its tongue. I watched as a layer of flesh peels off the flailing, screaming victim. Is everything all right, young man? The librarian was standing right next to me, and I could feel every pair of eyes in the room trained on me. The next victim was brought forward to the lady on the screen as the one who'd run screamed in the background, and I could see Tyler with just one more row in the procession between him and the cage. I stumbled backward, turned, and ran. When I got home, my folks were waiting for me. They sat in the living room, and it looked like my mother had been crying. My father looks stoic. He is a man who rarely shows emotion, but I could see the invisible weight on his shoulders. Sit down, Adam. She motioned to the chair across from them, and I sat down uneasily. What's wrong? I asked. Has Tyler been having any problems you were aware of? My father asked the question curtly like a cop. Why? I asked the question with an unconvincing lack of awareness. Tyler's mother called, my mother said. He's been hospitalized. Institutionalized, my father cut in. His mother brought him in for psychological evaluation, but he's been admitted to inpatient care. My mother spoke softly and gently. My dad locked onto me with a steely glare. Adam... I want you to be straight with me here. Are you and Tyler into anything other than marijuana? I groaned unconvincingly and turned away from them, accidentally glancing at the TV. It glowed to life and the zoo appeared as if I'd summoned it. I looked back at my parents. They were still staring at me. No, nothing like that, I stammered. I'm not into anything else. Nothing? He raises an eyebrow. You know, even if something sounds harmless, even if your friends say it's safe, it could be something else. That's how the dealers get you hooked. I shook my head at him and tried to do my best to ignore the images on the TV as its light flashed against my parents' features. I refused to look and the sound and smell rose in the room. Are you okay, Adam? My father was studying me. I gulped and nodded. We're just really worried about you, honey, my mother said. You don't seem okay. I looked at both of them, one and then the other, and wished that I could tell them what was happening with all my heart, that I could ask for help. I knew, though, that there was nothing they could do. I don't feel well, I said finally. I'm going to bed. 
I turned and left without another word. I spent that evening laying in bed, occasionally overhearing my parents' urgent but hushed voices as they discussed Tyler and me with dull panic in their voices. I laid there for hours as the sun set and the light under my door went out, and then for hours longer. I stared blindly into the darkness until all the creaks and groans of the house fell silent, and I was sure that my parents were asleep. I crept to my closet and began digging through the stacks of bins of summer clothes, past projects, and buried treasures. One by one, I dug through old books and binders, folders, and photos until finally, I found what I was looking for. My Canon Rebel T2, one of the last analog film cameras they ever made. When I was younger, my father bought it for me when I still showed interest and perhaps promise in film. I could only hope the half roll I'd left in it was still good. I briefly considered flipping my laptop on but decided against it, instead sneaking slowly and quietly downstairs into the living room. I reached behind the TV and unplugged it, hanging the cord and prong in front of the screen where it would remain visible. Then I sat down in the dark and waited. An hour passed and my eyelids began to get heavy. I may have even dozed off, and I don't remember precisely when the powerless screen began to glow to life. It was slow, as though the video wanted to sneak into the room and creep upon me, but as I opened my eyes fully, the glow slowly began to take shape. The molecular demons chatted wildly, and the ringmaster grinned on his stump, gesturing to the lady as she dropped the desiccated remains of her last victim. I held the camera low, as if instinctively to hide it from the video, and depressed the shutter release as Tyler was dragged forward. His face was one of stoned complacency, and he stumbled forward without resistance. As he was brought to the cage, the lady howled like a ship's horn across open seas and leaped onto the bars, and I snapped another picture. It was then that he became rigid and his expression changed to that of a man trying to convey terror through some kind of stupor. The ringmaster extended his key towards the cage. I clicked the shutter button again. The key entered its invisible keyway, and the sentries disappeared and reappeared on either side of the cage facing the procession, and suddenly Tyler was inside it. I took a picture, then glanced down. I had one shot left. I was frozen in terror, but as the lady came closer on screen, I realised it was the picture I needed, and it needed to be clear. Tyler stood in the centre of the cage, hopeless with tears streaming down his terrified face, and I shut my eyes. I felt my body thaw and shake uncontrollably as I heard his scream, and I wondered if I could do this. It's now or never, a voice inside my head told me. I opened my eyes. She was on him, and she brought her fangs down into him and the room filled with the most terrible sound I've ever heard, and in a single swift movement, I raised the camera to my eye, centred the lady in the viewfinder, and snapped the picture. The room filled a light like an atomic blast, and the screen suddenly occupied my entire field of vision, and it was just the lady's face and Tyler staring back at me. The TV went dead. The screen was pitch black and no residual glow remained as though it had never been on. 
The camera whirred quietly as it rewound the film, and I sat in the darkness until I felt confident my legs would work, and I crawled back upstairs. In my room, I checked the time. It was 4.15. Tyler, the Tyler in this world, would be dead this afternoon. I set down the camera, and as I did, my phone flickered to life with a new perspective of the OO. It looked out over the procession facing away from the lady, down the rows of captives and sentries, down the other wagons to where all of this began. Almost immediately, I saw what the video wanted me to see. In the procession, four rows from the cage was a familiar, terrified and exhausted face. It was me. Thank you guys, ghouls and girls for watching. Please feel free to connect with me on my Discord server, and if you want to watch me live, check out my Twitch channel. I am very active on both platforms and even have scheduled streams. I would absolutely love to see you there. Links to my other social media platforms are in the description below. Prophelia Podcast Network, Dark Stories from the Campfire Podcast, combines the storytelling styles of Victorian ghost stories and folklore to present to you original horror stories that'll force you to curl up tighter next to the fire. Available on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else podcasts are listened to.